uh, wow, okay. So interesting. First thing I'm noticing, this is five seconds into the recording, is that um, this room now sounds a lot different when I speak in it. Um, I'm recording where I always record, but I'm actually in the process of moving houses. So I've moved virtually all of the furniture outside of, out of this room. Um, it's just me and my weird little towel stand. Um, but I am noticing <laughs> quite a lot of reverb and echoing. So we're going to have to wait and see how that works out. If, if you do notice a difference in the audio quality that you don't like, um, my apologies. I'm sorry. It's only going to be for one more week. Um, if you don't notice anything, uh, as you were, carry on, I guess. And if you think that the difference is actually better, um, let me know and I'll just not move. I'll just perpetually stay in this state of flux between houses um, with no furniture and no food in my fridge because I need to sell the fridge. Um, yeah. Also, one other audio thing you might notice, my voice is a little bit, uh, how do I put this, uh, fucking shit. Um, I was sick last week, had a flu, um, was getting better then started to get sick again, and then this weekend I went camping and uh, basically sat out in the rain and got drunk for 10 hours last night, so it, my voice is not at its best, but I, nonetheless, I'm excited to be here. Oh, this is Maneaters, by the way. <laughs> I should probably introduce the show. This is the only true crime podcast on the internet where all the killers are real animals, and today we have a very exciting episode. As I stated, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling pumped because this is a story that I wanted to tackle um, forever. Ever since this podcast uh, was birthed out of my mouth, I wanted to talk about this story. It's probably one of the most well-known animal attack cases in history. Um, it certainly is the most true crimey of any story we've covered before. There's a lot of legalese mumbo-jumbo that's getting thrown around. Um, just a little, you know, uh, teaser. This story includes uh, death. It includes um, murder trial. It includes prison time. All those things and more. Today we're talking about um, the Azaria Chamberlain story, aka a dingo took my baby. And I'm allowed to do the accent because I'm Australian, but if you do it, it's pretty racist. Uh, I'm just kidding, it's not racist to do an Australian accent. It's just very annoying for us because you can't get it right. If you're not from here, you can't get it. I'm sorry, there have been like four actors who've managed to nail it. One of them was Meryl Streep, and she played um, one of the characters that is in this story. So it's all, it's all working back together and coming around. Um, before we go ahead though, I just want to mention this episode took a lot longer to research than they normally do. Um, this story is quite complex and it's very deep. The reason I've waited 22 episodes to get to it is because I wasn't sure if I was prepared or ready to tackle such a delicate story. Um, so yeah, this story took a lot more effort to research than a regular episode. So if you could do me a favor, if you do like this episode, uh, give me a, a good thumbs up or a five star or whatever the rating system is where you're listening to it. That really helps me out, especially since this episode did take quite a lot of time to research. I also want to thank everybody as well for uh, just sticking around and, and listening to the podcast for the last few weeks. Um, I've been really happy with how many people are listening and the great feedback I've been getting. It's just been really, really nice. So with that out of the way, we're ready to jump into this story. This is the Azaria Chamberlain story, aka Death in the Red Center. Today, we're talking about one of the most well-known animal attack cases in Australian history. The story has transcended the true crime genre and is now part of the Australian culture and vernacular. The animal in question is the dingo. 
Now, I know a lot of you are not from Australia and you've probably heard of a dingo before, but you might not know exactly what it is, so I'll tell you. A dingo is a medium-sized canine that possesses a lean, hardy body adapted for speed, agility, and stamina. The dingo's three main coat colorations are a light ginger or tan, a black and tan, or creamy white. Their skull is a wedge shape and appears large in proportion to their body. Dingoes are closely related to the New Zealand, sorry, to the New Guinea singing dog or to the New Guinea Highland wild dog. Their lineage split early from the lineage that led to today's domestic dogs and can be traced back through Malay archipelago to Asia. The earliest known dingo fossil found in Western Australia dates to 3,450 years ago. However, Genomic analysis indicates that the dingo reached Australia 8,300 years ago, but the human population that brought them remains unknown. Dingo morphology has not changed for the past 3,500 years. This suggests that no artificial selection has been applied over this period. The dingo's natural habitat covers most of Australia, but they are absent in the southeast and Tasmania, and an area in the southwest. As Australia's largest extant terrestrial predators, dingoes prey on mammals up to the size of the large red kangaroo, in addition to birds, reptiles, fish, crabs, frogs, insects, and occasionally seeds. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get into the story. Our story begins in New Zealand. Alice Lynn Murchison was born March 4th, 1948, in New Zealand, to Andy and Cliff Murchison. From a young age, she was known as simply Lindy. In 1969, her and her family relocated to Australia. The family was Seventh-day Adventist and she married Michael Chamberlain, a New Zealand-born Adventist pastor, on November 18, 1969. They lived in Tasmania for the first five years of their marriage before moving to Mount Isa in northern Queensland. Chamberlain's husband was the minister of Mount Isa's Seventh-day Ad Seventh Adventist Church at the time that their daughter Azaria went missing. Aidan, born 1973, and Regan, born 1977, were the Chamberlain's boys. A Mrs. Ransom, who was a family friend, said that the Chamberlains had always desired a daughter. Azaria Chamberlain, the first daughter, was born on June 11, 1990. Kalia, her fourth child and second daughter was born on November 1982. The family went on a camping holiday to the Northern Territory when Azaria was only two months old, arriving on August 16, 1980. Michael wanted to go barramundi fishing while Lindy wanted to go back to Uluru, which was then known as Ayers Rock. Before traveling on to Darwin, the family intended to camp for three days near the iconic monument. Later, the pair described a series of interactions with dingoes in the region of their tent, including feeding one that approached a slice of bread. Lindy put Azaria to bed in the tent at 8pm before returning to a shared campfire. This was the night of August 17th. Later that night, Azaria was abducted from their tent. Lindy later told investigators that she saw a dingo leave the tent before discovering the baby's bastinet was empty and screaming for help with what has become one of the case's most famous features, her cries of, A DINGO ate MY BABY! This turns out to be a misquote as Lindy in reality called out, A DINGO HAS MY BABY! Regardless, the phrase has become an enduring part of Australian culture both here and around the world. 
The family instantly searched the area, but Azaria was not recovered. The jumpsuit she was wearing was discovered approximately a week later, around four kilometers from the tent, blood stained around the neck, indicating the missing child's probable death. At the time, the child's matinee jacket had not been discovered. The Dingo Trail was initially followed by First Nations trackers, however, they were unable to continue after the animal crossed a road where its tracks were obliterated by people and automobiles. The baby was abducted by a wild dingo, that was according to an, inqu an inquiry conducted by the Alice Springs coroner. The Australian Supreme Court later overturned this decision in 1981. Several theories flew around, including that Lindy likely killed the baby herself, or that the parents were covering up the slaying that was actually perpetrated by one of her brothers. The prosecution claimed that when Lindy was away from the campfire for 10 minutes, she carried the baby Azaria from the tent to their adjacent car. Then, she slashed her daughter's throat with a pair of scissors and placed the body in a camera case. Much of the evidence in the case is looked at to be speculative at best, including the prosecution's explanation that the dingo's entering of the tent was merely a coincidence, as well as the fact that neither investigators nor fellow campers had observed any blood on her clothing. A number of the fellow campers testified at the trial, largely confirming Lindy's assertion that a dingo had indeed kidnapped Azaria. When Lindy was with them at the fireplace, both her husband Michael and camper Sally Lowe said they heard the baby cry out. Judith West, another camper, claimed that she heard a low, frightening growl coming from the direction of the Chamberlain's tent. There were also a number of scientific witnesses. Dr. Andrew Scott testified that the blood spray markings were compatible with a dingo carrying away a bleeding baby, and that canine hairs were found in the tent on and in Azaria's jumpsuit. According to the president of the Dingo Foundation, a dingo is capable of carrying a baby for long distances by the head, although a forensic expert disputed this claim. Finally, camper Max Whitaker stated that he had joined the other searches, including park officials and a skilled indigenous tracker, in following the path of a dingo with scrap mark, indicating that it had been carrying a large object, which was presumed to be the body of the lost baby. The tracker's statement was later discovered to have been refuted by rangers, and his version of events were not included in the court proceedings. Claims that Azaria's jumpsuit, singlet, and nappies had been tampered with before being offered as evidence were also dismissed. The jumpsuit discovered blood stained around the neck about a week after the baby's disappearance, about four kilometers from the tent, as well as a highly disputed forensic report claiming to have found evidence of fetal hemoglobin stains in the front seat of the Chamberlain's 1977 Holden Tirana hatchback were key pieces of evidence supporting this allegation against Lindy. Azaria was nine weeks old when she vanished, and fetal hemoglobin is present in infants six months and younger. Lindy Chamberlain was questioned about Azaria's clothing choices. Azaria was supposed to be wearing a matinee jacket over the jumpsuit, but the jacket was but the jacket was missing when the clothes were discovered. Azaria's singlet, which was inside the jumpsuit, was inside out, and she was questioned about this. Lindy was adamant she never placed a singlet on her baby inside out, as she was very pick as she was very picky about it. The state of the garments when they were collected as evidence contradicted this statement. The investigating officer had arranged the clothes for a photograph. 
Contrary to Cameron's results, a dingo's teeth can shear through material as robust as motor vehicle seatbelts, according to engineer Les Harris, who has studied dingoes for over a decade. He also mentioned a captive female dingo pulling a parcel of meat from its wrapping paper and left it intact. The defense's arguments were roundly rejected and Lindy Chamberlain was found guilty of murder on October 29th, 1982. Her husband, Michael Chamberlain, was found guilty of being an accomplice to murder. Lindy was sentenced to life in prison, while Michael was given an 18-month detention. In April 1983, a failed appeal to the federal court was filed. Following that, the High Court of Australia was requested to overturn the convictions, claiming that the judgments were dangerous and unsatisfactory. This appeal was denied by the majority of the court in February 1984. Lindy spent 3.5 years in prison until a major discovery was made in 1986. In early 1986, British tourist David Brent fell to his death from Uluru during an evening climb. Because of the vast size of the rock and the scrubby nature of the surrounding terrain, it was eight days before Brent's remains were discovered, lying below the bluff where he had lost his footing and in an area full of dingo lairs. As the police searched the area looking for missing bones that might have been carried off by dingoes, they discovered Azaria's missing matinee jacket, half buried near a suspected dingo den near Uluru on February 2nd, 1986. Lindy was released from prison just five days after this discovery and her life sentence was commuted. The assertion that Lindy murdered Azaria had not been established beyond a reasonable doubt according to a subsequent royal commission. In 1988, a third inquiry returned an open verdict. The Northern Territory Court of Criminal Appeals unanimously reversed Lindy and Michael Chamberlain's convictions on September 15, 1988. The forensic evidence in the Chamberlain trial was dubious at best, and the weight assigned to it prompted questions about such methods and expert testimony in criminal cases in Australia. The prosecution successfully maintained that the critical hemoglobin tests revealed the presence of fetal hemoglobin in the Chamberlain's automobile, which was a key reason in the original conviction. However, it was later shown that these tests were exceedingly inaccurate and that similar testing on sound deadness sprayed on during the car's manufacturing had produced nearly identical results. The Chamberlains were given $1.3 million in wrongful imprisonment compensation two years after their exoneration, which only paid about one-third of their total legal costs. Lindy and Michael sought for a new inquest in 2012, claiming that it would finally clear the reputations and show that their daughter had indeed been killed by a dingo. In the following years, additional evidence has emerged showing dingoes can and will attack small children. Today, we can clearly say Azaria Chamberlain was abducted from her tent by a dingo in August 1980, and her parents received an updated death certificate reflecting this reality. These are the words that Chamberlains have waited more than 30 years to hear. The cause of her death was as the result of being attacked and taken by a dingo. Please accept my sincere sympathy on the death of your special and loved daughter and sister, Azaria. I'm so sorry for your loss. The Chamberlains divorced in 1991. On 20th of December 1992, she remarried Rick Creighton, an American publisher and fellow member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Michael Chamberlain died of leukemia on the 9th of January 2017.
at the age of 72. Lindy Chamberlain Creighton currently resides in the Hunter Valley, Australia, which is actually only 30 minutes from where this podcast episode is being recorded. A movie was made based on these events and starred Meryl Streep as Lindy Chamberlain and Sam Neill as Michael Chamberlain. And that is the Azaria Chamberlain story. Uh, it is so interesting to me, uh, like the twists and turns. Uh, as an Australian, everyone is a little bit aware of this story. We, we all know the, um, the basics, as I'm sure most people in the Western world know it as well. It's such a common part of, of pop culture. I remember, um, you know, the Dingo Took My Baby Liners in Tropic Thunder, and there's a Meryl Streep movie about it. And basically, when you think of Australia, if I was to say, oh, like, name me a couple quotes, you know, you'd probably go, oh, throw another shrimp on the barbie, where the bloody hell are ya? And a dingo ate my baby. They're sort of the three that people would go to. Um, but the twists and turns and the details in the story, there, there are things that I had no idea about. The fact that gets me really, that really blew my mind was the fact that Lindy was only exonerated after they found the matinee jacket. Um, and they only found that matinee jacket because that British guy, David Brent, not the David Brent from The Office, by the way, but David Brent fell and died right near it. If that guy hadn't gone for a uh, midnight climb of Uluru, hadn't fallen off where he fell, um, and the investigators found his body exactly where they found it, um, you know, there is a very good chance that matinee jacket would never have been found, and Lindy Chamberlain would probably still be in jail. Um, a life sentence, by the way, in Australia is extremely rare. Um, I don't know how common it was back in the 80s, but today, to get life in prison in Australia is an exceedingly rare um, conviction to get. Um, you know, I'm just thinking as well, it's not just that the guy fell where he fell, it's that he fell and it took a number of days for them to reach him, which meant that his body had started to decompose and was presumably eaten by animals, um, which required the police to search a larger area. If they hadn't had to do that, or if they had found him earlier on, they would not have searched that area and they wouldn't have found the jacket. It just blows my mind how lucky Lindy Chamberlain got in that way. Obviously, she was not lucky in the um, in a more general sense because her child was killed. Um, but yeah, and also a little thing, it took me a little while to track down where Lindy Chamberlain actually resided currently. Um, but yeah, she lives in the Hunter Valley. I live in the Hunter Valley as well. So about 30 minutes from here is where Lindy lives. Um, and uh, yeah, there, there's, you know, it's it's such a huge part of Australian culture. This story, it's absolutely mind-blowing. And I hope that you um, enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed researching it. Um, it's nice to really do a really true crime story as well. We dig into like murder investigations and guilty uh, sentences and stuff like that. It was, it's a bit of a change from just like, animal goes nuts and eats for 500 people in the bush um but yeah there is another story as well about a guy on fraser island who went missing uh he was a british tourist and evidence points to it was probably a dingo that took him i was considering talking about um that story in this story as well um but i think that we're going to save that for another time especially since um this story was so long already um and speaking of since this story was so long already i'm gonna move on now to um our next segment which of course is the scratch of the day so in the scratch of the day segment i talk about news stories that involve animal attacks man-eating animals human animal confrontation and um, basically read you the stories as i've seen them so these three stories have happened within the last week our first story um is about a mountain lion that has attacked its owner and a dog um, um, so the headline here, this is from California. 
dog badly hurt defending its owner after mountain lion attack in Northern California. A woman who was attacked by a mountain lion in Northern California says her dog Eva jumped to her defense and was badly wounded while protecting her. I'm going to do the accents today because I'm feeling adventurous. I don't think I'll ever be able to live up to how amazing and loyal she is to me, Erin Wilson told the Sacramento Bee news outlet. Miss Wilson, 24 years of age, lives in rural Trinity County, about four hours northwest of Sacramento. On Monday, she drove to the Trinity River to take an afternoon stroll with Eva, her 30-month Belgian Malinois. I don't know what breed of dog that is. Malinois. Ms. Wilson said she was on a path with Eva a few yards ahead when a mountain lion lunged and swiped at her, scratching Wilson's left shoulder through her jacket. I yelled, Eva, and she came running, Ms. Wilson said. She hit, she hit the cat really hard. The 25-kilogram dog put up a fight against the mountain lion but was quickly overpowered. They fought for a couple of seconds and then I heard her start crying, Ms. Wilson said. Oh god, I just gave up on the accent. Oh well. The wild animal bit into the dog's head and refused to let go, even when Ms. Wilson attacked the animal with rocks, sticks, and her fists, tried to choke it and gouge its eyes. Meanwhile, the mountain lion tried to kick her off, scratching her with its back paws. Ms. Wilson said she ran back to a pickup truck, grabbed a tire iron, and flagged down a passing car. That driver of the passing car, Sharon Houston, told the Sacramento Bee that she grabbed a long length of PVC pipe and pepper spray. Together, the women began beating the lion, which dragged the dog off the trail. Ms. Houston said that she then used the pepper spray on the animal, which caused it to flee the scene. Ms. Wilson was treated for non-life-threatening scratches, scrapes, and bruises. What a heroic story. That's a really good story. Um, I believe that the dog did survive, and both of the ladies survived. The mountain lion presumably survived as well. Wow, that's, a, that's an amazing story to tell. What a great dog. I think Eva gets our first ever Pup of the Week award. Um, that's the award that I've just invented where I give a, a, an award to a dog each week. Um, and I think this is how this is going to go. If there's a story where their dog is really good, it gets the Pup of the Week award no matter what. Um, and if there's a story, if there's a week where there is no dog story, um, what I'm going to do is just, I'm going to get you to send me pictures of dogs um, to the email or to the Instagram account. And whoever has the cutest dog that week gets to be the Pup of the Week. Does that sound good? Yeah, I don't care if it doesn't. Send me dog pics or I'll bash you up. Anyway, our next story. Um, a little more, well, I don't know, more frightening, but it's about a bear. I guess I find bears more scary than cougars. Anyway, this story is from Wisconsin. A bear breaks through window in Taylor County, attacks husband and wife. What is going on in America this week? Two people were injured on Friday evening after they were attacked by a bear. Around 11pm, the Taylor County Sheriff's Office received a telephone report of a bear inside a home near Medford on Castle Road. Deputies were informed by a man and a woman that they noticed a bear outside eating from the bird feeder. They opened a window and yelled for the bear to go away. The bear turned and charged the house, breaking through the window and into the house. The husband and wife were both injured. The children had been asleep in their bedrooms at the time of the attack and were unharmed. Both the husband and the wife were attacked and fought with the bear and eventually stabbed it with a kitchen knife as it attacked. Eventually, the husband was able to retrieve a firearm and shot the bear dead inside their home. Both individuals had numerous bites and injuries from the attacks. They've both since been treated for their injuries and released to go home. 
The bear was an adult female and appeared to have won cub that was seen running off as the bear had charged the house. Oh, that's sad. The Wisconsin DNR also responded and took possession of the bear carcass for testing. Oh, the bear had a baby and now the baby's an orphan. That's really sad. Um, I've never been a big fan of bird feeders. Um, this is just another story of a bird feeder just fucking everything up. Um, no, but obviously if a bear bursts in your house, stand your ground, man. <laughs> it's probably the only time I think stand your ground makes a lot of sense is when a bear bursts through your window. Also, don't antagonize the bear. He was just eating seeds from a bird seeder. Is it really worth it? Is it really worth saving the seeds? You, you dicks. I don't know. It's not their fault. We don't victim blame on this show. Anyway, our final story. And you know what? I took my own advice from the last few weeks. We're ending on a lighter note today. Um, this headline, and boy, this is going to make you laugh. Uh, this is about a wild a turkey that keeps attacking people on a DC trail. The headline is, get ready for this, foul play. Fucking kill me. Okay. Uh, a suspected serial attacker. <laughs> They're very dramatic in this article, by the way. A suspected serial attacker has struck again on a popular trail in the Washington area, and it is a turkey. Literally. Uh, I don't think you needed to add the word literally there, but okay. For the fifth time in roughly three months, a person has been attacked by what wildlife experts say is a particularly aggressive male turkey, also known as Tom. Oh, also known as a Tom. A Tom. Okay, there we go. We've learned something. A male turkey is a tom. Um, since February, officials have gotten complaints about the tom from bikers, joggers, and walkers who said they were attacked or chased while on the Anacostia River Trail, a uh, Riverwalk Trail, which straddles the district and Maryland, or near the Kenilworth Park and Aquatic Gardens and the Kenilworth Recreation Center in Northeast Washington. Three American stories today. Wow. This tom has reported. <laughs> How is this a news story, guys? This Tom has reported flapping its wings, puffing itself up to look big, using a common turkey tactic to defend against predators, scratched several people with its talons, and of course, gobbled at people. This isn't real, is it? One man posted on a local blog that he'd sustained a puncture wound to his legs after the Tom attacked him, prompting him to get a tetanus shot at a health clinic. Wildlife experts said it is all believed to be the work of the same turkey, though they stress they cannot be certain. Some experts and animal followers have jokingly dubbed the ongoing effort to catch the tom, oh god, I hate this, Operation Early Thanksgiving. He is, fuck's sake, Jesus, he is one bad actor. Dan Rauch, a wildlife biologist for the DC Department of Energy and Environment, says this should not reflect <laughs> fucking hell. This sh this is <laughs> Oh my god, I'm gonna die. He ends his quote by saying, This should not reflect badly on all turkeys. <laughs> Wild turkeys and risky encounters with humans grow in numbers. Wild turkeys are protected under the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, but because this tom has attacked people, it has been declared a public safety hazard and nuisance. Officials say they are thereby allowed under law to capture and move him to a wildlife sanctuary. So far though, the tom has managed to elude them. Turkeys are smart and agile, wildlife experts say, able to run as fast as 25 miles per hour and fly pretty well, especially given their heft at 20 to 25 pounds. Usually 
turkeys are chicken when they say cute. That's a bad sentence. That's confusing. When you're talking about birds, don't add another bird into the sentence for no reason. Turkeys are chicken when they see humans tending to run or fly away, but the attacking tom seems to have no fear of people and in some cases has chased runners and bikers. Wildlife experts say they are unsure why. One theory is that he's become desensitized to people, Rauch said. Someone may have been routinely feeding it, he suggested, leading it, uh, leading it to keep coming back to people expecting to be fed. There you go. That is an aggressive turkey. Um, but remember, as Dan Rouch says, this should not reflect badly on all turkeys. Um, hopefully Operation Early Thanksgiving is a success and this uh, Tom, I'm just going to name him Tom, is uh, moved to a wildlife center where he can be with the other aggressive turkeys. Um, that's, that, wow, what a great way to end that episode. Fantastic. Thank you, Tom the turkey. And thank you, Dan Rouch, for this, or whoever wrote this article. Um, yeah, a little dramatic. I think it might have been a slow news day in DC when this was written, but that's that's fine. So that's our episode today. We have talked about the Azaria Chamberlain Dingo case um, to great extent. We also talked about three American um, animal attacks that have occurred in the last seven days. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, this was one of my favorite episodes to research and to make, and I've had a good time recording it too. So please give it a listen if you do enjoy it. Give us a thumbs up, give us a like. Do whatever you need to do, do it because it's helpful me um the podcast is obviously getting put shown to more people and um people seem to be liking it and i'm enjoying doing it um make sure you follow us on all the social media platforms links are in the bio um and yes email me your dog pictures or email me ideas for stories or uh you know even personal stories i'll start off i had a thought today i um when i was young i got attacked by a goose or maybe it was a swan um when i went to this like little nature reserve i got I got um, picked off from my family, basically. This swan, this aggressive swan, uh, basically cornered me and flapped its wings at me and pecked my bottom, uh, and that was pretty traumatizing. And maybe it's what led to this whole podcast being, you know, in existence is because of that one thing. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, but if you have any personal stories about animal attacks, um, please send them through. Or if you know of any stories, um, please send them through as well. Uh, one listener, I cannot remember his name, I'm sorry, sent me an idea for an episode and we're going to cover him next week. So next week, look forward to Tuto Tom, which is an alligator um, that terrorized the South um, in America for years. Um, okay, that is it. Please send those emails to maneaterspod at gmail.com. The Facebook is facebook.com slash maneaterspod. The Instagram is at maneaterspodcast and my Instagram is at Jimothy Chaps. Uh, the Patreon is also there, patreon.com slash maneaters. Uh, please do all those things. Thank you so, so much for listening. Thank you for all your support. Um, I will be going overseas in a few weeks, like I said, but the idea is, the plan is at least for me to still have those episodes um scheduled ready to go remember we are three episodes away from our first ever special episode the jim corbett special man myth legend um coming in three weeks so make sure you've got notifications turned on so you do not miss an episode until then i'll see you later my name has been james and please for the love of god look after yourselves and take care out there because we all know it's a jungle out there